This podcast is brought to you by EverythingVoluntary.com. Voluntary principle states that all human relations should happen by mutual consent or not at all. This podcast aims to promote respect for the voluntary principle in all walks of life and for all age groups. My name is Skylar Collins, and this is Everything Voluntary. You can receive all new content offered by EverythingVoluntary.com in your email inbox every single weekday for free. Visit Digest.EverythingVoluntary.com to subscribe. Uh, Before we start the episode, I want to invite you to join me as a featured guest. I'd love to chat and get to know you and give you this platform to bounce your ideas around. To schedule, go to the main website at EverythingVoluntary.com. On the right-hand side, there's a link to schedule with me immediately. Click that link, select a day and time, answer the questions, and submit. That's all it takes. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to the podcast. It's December 21st. And in this episode, I think I just want to riff on something. I've had some follow-up thoughts after I did my episode responding to Richard Wolff and the debates that he was in with Gene Epstein and David Friedman. And just you know, I've just been thinking about some things that he said there and some points that he made. And I've just sort of got this phrase in my head I wanted to explore. And that phrase is the many capitalisms. All right. So he made the point in both um, debates uh, regarding markets and that markets are a separate thing from capitalism. Markets exist, have existed all over the, excuse me, all over the place in different contexts at different times in different ways. And so he's not talking about markets. He's talking about when he criticizes capitalism, he's talking about what he calls hierarchical uh, business relationships or hierarchical business organization. And I think, I think that's a misnomer. I think that's a word that's been totally, um, mangled and perverted, you know, over time. And I think it's caused a lot of confusion because of the the arc the archy within that word, hierarchy. Right? So it begs the question, what 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 about what I call echelony or echelonical business organizations where you have um I guess you could say a ladder, right? Ladders you've got steps. Under echelony you have steps. You have um you have you have workers, and then you have a different kind of worker. You have supervisor, and then you have yet another kind of worker, manager, and then another kind of worker, director, and then executive. Okay, they're all workers. They all do work. Some might be more physical work. Others might be more intellectual work, but they're all working. Okay, and there's a market for different kinds of people with different skill sets to fill each one of those those steps, each one of those uh, levels, if you will. Um, above the executives, you have, you know, I suppose a, 
board of directors, which is, you know, probably the furthest thing from physical labor. And usually a board of directors are made up of people who really, really don't do much within the business. But that that, that doesn't mean that they're not workers for um, other enterprises. Sometimes these are people who, you know, spent decades working and are now retired, but they're still sitting on the board um, using their wisdom to make, you know, to make, to help make decisions, right? That doesn't mean these people, because they're not currently doing labor, right? In that physical sense that they're not, or even in the intellectual sense that they're not, that they don't deserve to be there. So I don't, I don't personally have any problem with echelonical or in Richard Wolf's term and many others' terms, hierarchical business organization. Okay. It's obviously very useful. But that's what he calls capitalism. And then what he calls socialism, right, the new directions in socialism is a phrase he liked to say. I guess that's the, maybe the name of his book. It, from what I can tell is simply worker-owned, cooperative, cooperatively organized uh, businesses, all right, which, which is fine. That's just another kind of business organization. Is there absolutely no echelony within those businesses? He gave an example of some Portuguese business that's the fifth largest in Portugal or something that's been around for 70 years. I'd have to look, look into it. Um, I think, you know, the company I'm, I, I had heard of, and I don't know the particulars, but I think Valve, which is a software company that makes Steam and the Half-Life games and other games and whatnot, I think they're a cooperative. And then you have Winco Foods, which is a grocery store, which I think is also employee-owned. But again, I don't think all of these companies are exactly the same in how decisions are made and how, how these things actually happen as far as their business organization. I think they probably each approximate Richard Wolf's ideal, but there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, If the people within the business that are making the decisions make the right decisions, then the business will, through that market test, will survive or it won't. Okay, David Friedman had, you know, had he never really made the argument within the debate, but he had some concerns over that sort of business organization and thought that in some ways it would be inferior towards the goal of passing that market test and, and maintaining profitability than a more echelonically organized business, a hierarchically organized business. But I don't know, it doesn't matter. If all Richard Wolf means by socialism is worker cooperatives, and he allows for those worker cooperatives to emerge spontaneously and not through government force, then he and I are allies. Okay, he's allies with every anarcho-capitalist, voluntarist, anarcho-libertarian, Austrian economist, Austro-libertarian I've ever known. I haven't heard any of these people ever say that worker cooperatives may not, as a matter of anarcho-capitalist justice or libertarian justice, may not be formed. That would be absurd. They may not be formed through government force. That's the one caveat. As long as we don't have the state coming in and helping the workers totally violate the owners of the capital, the, the legitimate owners of the capital's property rights, smashing everything or just simply confiscating it all and then handing it over to workers, then we're fine. But let's go back to the phrase I said at the beginning, the mini capitalisms. Capitalism is, you know, I mean, Richard Wolff seems to simply define it as hierarchical business organization. 
And he contrasts that with socialism, which is work, worker cooperatively organized business organization. But I think that's disingenuous. I think that totally ignores how these things have been defined um, in the past. Now, I don't, I don't know how – I haven't read every economics books over – you know, every, every economic book over the last 200 years. I do understand that Marx uh, probably is the one who coined the term capitalism and he had his criticisms – which I'm somewhat familiar with. Um, I probably can't recall them. I've read a great deal about them, but I don't have the, you know, I don't have a photographic memory or anything. I'd have to do some digging and get some some sources, whatnot. But it doesn't matter. But the difference between the two that I've always read it defined, and this is by economists from different schools: Chicago, Austrian, neoclassical, marginalists, so forth, is that capitalism is the private ownership of the means of production, and socialism is the public ownership of the means of production. But this, both of these definitions beg the question, right? It, really, they take further elaboration. We've got to really dig in and define each one of those words within that definition. And if we equivocate or we decide to, you know, play fast and loose with what we're talking about, then we can make either of those sound either really good or really horrible. So let's take, let's take capitalism, um, how I see it today. And then we're, we're going to contrast it with maybe capitalism and, and how it would be seen maybe 200 years ago. So when I think about capitalism today, the private ownership of the means of production, the means of production are um, is limited to stuff. Okay, it doesn't include people. Okay, people are a means of production, right? Workers produce things, therefore they are a kind of means of production. But when I think of capitalism, I think I begin with self-ownership, property rights, and then exchange and, and trade and markets from there, right? It's private self-owners who own privately capital, the means of production. That's what capital is, is the means of production. But if we, if we go back 200 years ago and we say capitalism is the private ownership of the means of production and you have people who consider other people to be their legitimately owned capital, their means of production, such as chattel slavery, then these people can say, yeah, we're, we're capitalists. And our capital that we exploit are not machines, are not, are not non-living machines and factories, but they're those niggers over there, right? So it's, it's, not, it's not difficult to see that, that by capitalism, that makes some sense. Private ownership of the means of production, I consider those niggers over there the means of production. I consider them my capital and I privately own them. Therefore, I'm a capitalist. And this, this is where you get things like the 1619 Project, the New York Times started, where they said the founding of America wasn't, um, what was it, 17, 1776 when the Declaration of Independence was signed. No, it was when the first, uh, when the first piece of capital from the Atlantic slave trade was brought over. Right, that's when America started. That's when capitalist America started. And you know, if we if we if we include within the definition within the concept of means of production, if we include other people as capital, then that makes some sense. I mean, it makes some sense to call that capitalism. This also makes some sense. Let's let's look at let's look at um, regimes like Soviet Russia under Lenin and Stalin, and let's look at Italy, Italian fascism under Mussolini. Let's look at German Nazism under Hitler. 
Let's look at Chinese communism under Mao, Cuban communism under Fidel, and on and on. I guess we got the Kims in North Korea as well. If we alter our definition of private ownership of the means of production, and we include within that definition of means of production or capital, the populace, right? The, the, the entire ruled class, not the rulers, but the ruled, then each of those people, Hitler, Lenin, Mao, Stalin, Castro, they are all private owners of the means of production, right? Aren't, aren't they the ones that are standing up and making decisions over how both uh, physical capital and human capital are being used within their countries? Aren't they standing up and by their actions, by their behavior, in all practicality, exercising the exclusive right of control over physical and human capital within their countries? Isn't that what they're doing? Okay, they obviously consider everyone but themselves and their, their um, privileged minions that they, they pull into their, under their umbrella to be means of production. And they consider themselves to be the private owners of it. Therefore, they are all capitalists, right? In that sense, in that sense, they are capitalists. Okay, now they're not going to have all the information they need to make to, to engage in successful decision-making and actually produce prosperity. And that's where you get, um, that's where you get our, you know, like the calculation problem, the coordination problem, the knowledge problem. These are all arguments against centralizing and consolidating economic decision-making into fewer and fewer hands, what the economists who came up with that stuff called socialism. But in a sense, in a, in a real twisted, perverted sense, we can call that capitalism because these dictators are acting as if they are the private owners of capital, the capital being the rest of the country, right? Just like slave owners were capitalists and their capital was slaves, right? So this, this was kind of some of the point that, that Richard Wolff was making, right? Especially when, whenever um, either, either person, or maybe sometimes he brought it up, would bring up the death count of communist and socialist experiments, right? 250 million, whatever it is, over the, the 20th century. He would go on this, this big rant about how perverted that is and how actually all of these places, because they're all acting like private owners over human capital, they're all really capitalists. And so all of these, these, these death counts don't belong to socialism because these were all, in the sense I just described, these were all capitalist enterprises, every one of them, Mao, Stalin, Hitler, Fidel, the Kims, all of them, that because they didn't include, they didn't include everybody in their decision-making, okay, they did it all privately, they're all acting as capitalists. That's, that's the point he was making. And depending on how we define things, it's a valid point, isn't it? So, you know, the fight, the fight, I mean, we can sit and we can define what we're talking about and we can try to make our definitions crystal clear. But I think no matter what, if somebody wants to be disingenuous and wants to be intellectually obstinate, they can take what you're saying in defense of capitalism and they can equivocate and redefine and twist it and pervert it into a defense of some of the most horrible people humanity's ever seen, as I just demonstrated, right? Communist dictators and slaveholders. So, you know, the many capitalisms, 
And on the flip side, we could also talk about the many socialisms, right? We can, we can, we can start with um, the classic definition, public ownership of the means of production. Okay, everybody, everybody within a, a town or a city or a state or a country or however, however we want to scale this has a vote, right? Because how, how else, how else, how else do you exercise ownership over the means of production if not by uh, deciding how it's used? And how else can you, can, let's say a million people decide how a given means of production, a single, let's say a shoe factory, let's just, let's just jump over how we even got there, how the shoe factory was ever even built. Let's just assume a shoe factory. And we need to make decisions about how to, how to source the materials, right? Who we want to get the materials from. What other, you know, leather factory, string factory, grommet factory, sole, shoe, the soles of the shoe factory, you know, how do we want to source the parts to make the shoes? Okay, we've got some decisions to make. How do we want to make those decisions? Well, under pure public ownership, you have to poll. You have to, you have to put it to a vote. Every single decision you have to put to a vote so that a million people or let's say the towns, let's say the towns, three million people, but a million people are are uh, are adults, and I, I don't know. Here's this. This is the question: Who do we decide who votes? Can four year olds vote? Right? Do they do they not have a public ownership stake in the means of production? Right? Where are we drawing the line, and why are we drawing the line there? And who gets to decide where the line is drawn? Are we putting everything to a vote to get it? It's kind of a mind fuck, right? So let's just assume a million people, and they all vote. All right, let's just assume all the problems away and just just start there. So, you know, is it just is it just simple majority, right? Is it just 50.0001% or whatever it is? And are we are we voting on every single thing? Every single thing. There's a a thousand decisions every week in a business that need to be made. Are we going to put everyone to a vote involving a million people? Is that workable? Is that scalable? I don't think that's workable with 10 people, let alone a million. Not if you want things to get done. So at some point, you're going to have to start making concessions to the capitalists. Okay, You're going to have to start putting in some echelony, some hierarchy. You're going to have to start putting in decision makers at different levels of production and distribution. Okay, You can all have, you, you know, a million people can have an ownership stake in that, whatever that means in this society. But at, at some point, you're going to have to start voting on some some decision makers, right? And this, and then what authority do you give them? And now you're writing up constitutions, and now you're doing this, and you're and, you, and you're you're pretty much coming back to, um, I mean, what what are you coming back to? You're coming back to forming a state and giving that state final decision making power to coordinate everything, right? And that's and that's what you saw in Soviet Russia and other places, right? And but, but you you also have to give this state seemingly the sorts of powers it would need to quell dissent right you can't have your fellow owners object to this process and get in the way so at some point um you can you can be compassionate and if people don't want to be a part of it you can invite them to leave but if they say no i'm an equal owner with you and i want it done a totally different way and I'm going to stand here and, and put my body on the machine and get in the way of what you're trying to do, as is my right as partial owner, what are you going to do about it? Well, at some point, you have to physically remove that person if you're ever going to get anything done, right? So this is, this is where the horror begins. And not only the people who want to get in the way, but the people who you've assigned 
jobs and they don't want to do those jobs, right? They, don't, they just don't want to do it. They don't want to give you what you need. You need so many strings or so many grommets or so many souls to meet your quotas that you've instituted and you're not meeting those. Somebody's got to be punished, right? So that's how these things evolve and they just get more and more draconian and more and more horrific. So, you know, Richard Wolf is probably smart. He seems, he seems like he's actually really smart to distance himself from that sort of thing. He distances himself from the horrors that result from people experimenting with communism and socialism in, in the way I just described. And now he's saying, let's not talk about that. That's in the past. That's irrelevant. That's unimportant. I'm talking, he says, I'm talking about new directions in socialism, worker cooperatives. Those are very different things, right? Because a work, worker cooperative assumes all sorts of, you know, private decision-making outside the cooperative and within the cooperative, right? Let's say you've successfully started a, a worker cooperative building shoes, right? And you've avoided, I don't know how, any resemblance of echelony or hierarchy in, de in decision-making. You just must have you know, really ambitious and committed workers who truly, truly believe in that uh, business model, right? True believers in worker cooperatives. And somehow you've managed to, um, you've managed to reduce or get rid of the problem of shared responsibility. And I say that's a problem because when you're working on a team and you know that you're not going to individually be blamed for any failures, you're less careful about what you do because if there's mistakes made, it's easy to, it's easy to point at someone else, right? You can point at every other person in the cooperative and say, this was a group effort and we failed, right? I, I think accountability is, is harder in that environment, but I don't know. But outside of the business, you know, you've got free market capitalistic market, you know, free market capitalism, beginning with self-ownership and pro private property. Even if every business in the society is worker is worker owned, that's fine. In my opinion, it's still free market capitalism. It's not socialism. It's not communism. Richard Wolf can call that whatever he wants. We can call that whatever we want. But as long as people who have valid, superior claims to uh, the scarce resources that they claim ownership of, such as their bodies right self owners and then after that private property rights as long as as long as they're not being attacked and their property's not being forcefully seized you know without just cause without due process as 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 when somebody commits a crime and it's decided that they owe somebody restitution then then it's fine i've got no problem with it every single business or charity or nonprofit or church or whatever in that society can be organized on a worker co-op model. And as long as it's all non-aggressive in the sense that I described in the other episode, and I've sort of alluded to here, then in my, in my opinion, it still fall, falls under the umbrella of free market capitalism, right? Free market capitalists don't care how you organize your business. We don't care. All we care is that you're not, is that you're not hurting people or taking their stuff. Beyond that, you don't have to ask permission, or you shouldn't have to ask permission. You want to organize echelonically, hierarchically? Do it. You want to organize worker co-op? Do it. Is there a, a, another model? <laughs> uh, there's different kinds of businesses, right? There's charities, there's churches, there's uh, nonprofit, whatever that means. It probably wouldn't mean anything in a free market. 
there's for profit. I mean, these things, these things mean something in a, in a statist context when it comes to how they're taxed. But outside of that, what does, what does nonprofit even mean? Right. They're still, they're still trying to, to get revenue and pay themselves to keep doing what they're doing. Right. That's every, that's every business, profit or not. But there's, there's different types of enterprises, right? There's different types of groups of people pursuing different types of things. And a group of people is a corporation. Corp means body, right? Corpus, right? When people come together and form a body with a singular purpose, they are a corporation. Okay. They might not be a registered with the state corporation, but they are acting as a corporation. You can call it whatever you want. So that's my only concern, and I made this point at the end of that last podcast, which I'll I'll link to it, is that as long as you're not engaging in aggression, which may include violence, there are aggressive acts that are not violent, right? If I swipe your property without you knowing, that's an act of aggression because it's your property. You have you own title to it, not me. Um, but it's not really violence. I'm not you know, if I come up and point a gun at you, now I'm engaged in violence, you know, and I rob you. But if I, you know, I just, if I don't break anything, if your house is unlocked and I go in and I peacefully take some things and leave and I don't damage anything, that's not really an act of violence. I mean, maybe it is because I did, I would call it aggression, but I probably wouldn't call it violence, right? There's, there's like, you know, what do these words mean? <laughs> so we can, we can twist anything and we can call it capitalism and we can twist anything and we can call it socialism. I do. I'm, you know, if da- if Richard Wolff is distancing himself from the, what have heretofore been called the horrors of socialism and communism and authoritarianism and totalitarianism, um, if he's distancing himself from that and saying, no, no, that's not what I mean. I really just mean worker co- co-ops, then great. He's an ally. Welcome to the club. <laughs> Welcome to the libertarian anarcho-capitalist club. You're one of us now, right? It sounds to me like he's conceited. But if he doesn't really mean that and he's just being disingenuous, then, then you know, whatever, fuck him. He'll go down in history as a, a, as a nobody. He'll die one day and he'll probably be forgotten like, uh, you know, these other people that are, that are forgotten. Uh, like, what's his name? Bill Buckley. Like, who the hell remembers that guy? You know, what impact did he have on anybody? <laughs> All right, that's going to do it. If you've made it this far, thanks. <laughs> um. Yeah, we're a few days away from Christmas. I had a killer week working last week. I I broke my weekly record. So in 41 hours, I did $1,649. My previous record was, I think, 41 hours for $1,600. Um, you know, I'm usually only working about 34, 35 hours. And, you know, I'm usually only getting, you know, 12, 1300. So it's gone up. It usually does in winter, make more money. And I worked extra hours than I typically do because of the holiday. I won't be working Christmas Eve evening or all day Christmas day and, and probably again for New Year's. So got to make what I can while I can. Got to grind, got to hustle. All right, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember, don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. Don't ask permission and have a great day. Please send your comments and questions to everythingvoluntary at gmail.com. Please consider supporting this podcast and everythingvoluntary.com by setting up an automatic monthly donation at patreon.com forward slash EBC. One-time donations are also accepted at paypal.me forward slash everythingvoluntary. Will you do us a big favor? 
Will you rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening from? That really helps. And one more thing, please share the podcast with your friends. We really appreciate it.